weekly show where we discuss hot topics that aim to help financial services professionals step up their digital and content approaches to achieve success. If this is your first time listening then welcome. My name is Ellen Adams and I'm a client strategist here at Clients First. I'm delighted to be your host for today. This is the third episode of our series and you can listen on all of the usual platforms. So today we're going to be discussing personal branding and the impact it can have on your business if done correctly. I have the best guest to discuss this with me today, Lee Robertson. He's a serial networker with over 30 years of experience leading a multi-award winning practice, current CEO of Octo members and our advisor to the board here at Clients First. Nice to have you back, Lee. Yeah, pleasure. Nice to see you. So let's jump straight in then. So to start, and for any listeners who may not know, can you talk to us about what a personal brand is? Yeah, sure. I mean, in my day, when I started, personal brand was about reputation. It was about being just known for what you did and being known um, for how you operated, I guess. Um, it's it's So reputation, because all, all language is iterative, it seems to have moved on to personal brand now. Uh, and some people like the phrase, some people don't. But I think generally personal brand is just how other people perceive you, either in a work environment or a personal environment. But particularly, it seems to it seems to come around. It focuses on, on your work environment. Yeah. And, and within financial services, then reputation, I guess, is extremely important looking after people's personal finances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, do you want to be known for... Um, being ethical, being honest, being highly engaging, being empathetic, all these all these traits that many advisors show, um, it's incredibly important, I think, that, that you're, you know, because people like doing business with people they respect and like and understand them. So it's about communicating that out, I guess. But financial services is particularly important, I would say, because you're talking about very, very emotive subjects like money, health, wealth, children, fees, you know, school fees, all the bits and pieces that, that go into making up, uh, uh, you know, your client's, you know, life, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, what they want to do in retirement. It's a really, really important subject. So it's right, I suppose, that that financial services, that reputation is particularly important and is seen as such. Yeah. And I guess as an individual, how much of a priority or to have a personal brand on the agenda is it for those advisors in the space? That's a really interesting question because there are loads and loads of really, really good advisors who are completely under the radar. But I would argue they have a personal brand. Their personal brand is to be quiet, diligent, and go about their business without seeking to be, not, not being an attention seeker like I turned out to be, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, but they will have a personal brand anyway. They will have a personal brand with their colleagues. They will have a personal brand with their team, with their clients, with their suppliers, with the people that interact with them in a business day. So everyone has a personal brand. Some people just choose to amplify it. 
But that personal brand is about how you are perceived, I guess, is, is the best way to distill it down by the constituent parts, you know, your clients, your suppliers, your colleagues. Is that a conscious choice? Should people be thinking about their personal brand in terms of how they do want to be perceived, whether that's slightly under the radar or really out there in, in the network? It, that's interesting. I mean, I, I would say that if you come into financial advice, you come in generally, particularly nowadays, you come in because you want to help people. You know, it, it's, it, there's a high barrier to entry. Um, there's lots of exams to get through. There's lots of regulation that you've got to contend with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And lots of actually often quite negative press and, and profile. So I, I would say that it, it's, it's incredibly important that, that you're, the way you go about your day, your business is reflected in the way that people perceive you. And so I, I think, A, it's important whether you want to be above above the kind of radar or below the radar, if that makes sense, on radar or below the radar. But it's just important day to day. Do you want to be likable, empathetic, a good colleague to work with, a good advisor to be able to pick up the phone to if you're a client, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's incredibly, incredibly important but the second part of that is, do you want to amplify your brand for other reasons, for a profile for your firm, for a profile for yourself, for attracting new clients, for retaining clients, for attracting professional connections? I think so there are two elements. There's the internal bit, how you're perceived mm. by your team and your clients. And there's the external bit, how you're perceived by the wider world. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So reflecting back on on yourself and how you got started and how you were thinking about your own personal brand how did that begin yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you almost don't know how I mean in, in one way I, I think the the people who have the best personal brands I would say are those that don't have a there's no side to them if that makes sense they are who they are so if they are helpful intelligent empathetic um they don't turn up late, they don't allow colleagues to pick up the work they should be doing, et cetera, et cetera, then I think there's, there's congruity there. You know, people are who they are, and, and clients can see people that put on a kind of work face that's different to their real mm. face. Clients are quite tuned into that stuff. So the most successful advisors, I would say, are their personal brand is them. It's just who they are. It's the way they go about their day-to-day. -day. Are they helpful, friendly, um, technically competent, all the other stuff that goes into making up who you are as a business person. Yeah. But getting started, which was the second part, sorry, is is difficult because I'm nobody ever believes this, but I'm actually a natural introvert, and I was brought up in a in a you know Calvinistic Scots Presbyterian Scots kind of of way where where you know. A, a refrain from parents was often stop showing off or, you know, don't get ahead, <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. So there's that innate thing in you that you don't want to project because you grew up learning that actually don't be labeled to show off. But in business, you almost have to show off a bit, I would say. So how did I get started? I was really lucky. I was introduced to a couple of journalists very early on in the nationals in my career. Uh, Rose Spiro, um, Sylvia Morris and James Hopegood, uh, who were all at the Daily Mail and the Money Mail. So that's how I got started. That They used to ring me up asking for quotes or case studies with clients if clients would be willing to partake in a case study. And there was the big case study stuff that used to go on. That's how I got started, um, which which 
it still goes on today. You know, you, you see advisors in the press all the time. There's also much more trade press than there used to be. So you can begin to build a brand. Or there's this thing about, do you want to project externally or internally or both? But, you know, that's that's something for, for people to get involved. But my early genesis was was having the luck by, by a journalist client who was happy to introduce me to her financial journalist colleagues on, on the Daily Mail. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And, and some of my experience is that some financial planning um, clients can be a little worried or reluctant to put themselves out there in the press. Have you got any advice from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, there, there's okay. The, the press can bite to you. There's, there's no, there's no, mm. there's no getting away from that. And I think there's a bit of a fear that if if you say something or you you put something up on you know LinkedIn or Twitter or something that people can have a go at you. And it does happen from time to time. I've had it not often, but I've had it. Uh, and and also sometimes journalists can misconstrue what you say or they twist it to their own. Really slightly careful because we've got lots of financial journalist mates, but sometimes they can put a spin on that you didn't actually mean because it makes for a better headline or something. Yeah. But but I I would say if you're confident in your ability, you're confident in your messaging, and you're confident that you are the right sort of person the public should be dealing with, then you know give it a go. Great, thanks, Lee. And a part of your personal brand, I guess, is developing your voice within the the industry and um, and sharing that voice across the different publications. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're living in a slightly golden age of collaboration. Um, I mean, when I when I joined financial services, I came in through a direct sales company. What was mine was mine, and what was his he wouldn't share with you, and all that kind of stuff. But it, when, yeah. when I fast forward to today. There's never been more information online. God, I wish this had been online when I, when, when I was young because everyone's falling over themselves, just like this podcast, to help people, to inform people, to pick people up, to mentor people, to showcase good ideas, to showcase good practice. It's a really golden age. And I think it's a mark of financial planning as a profession that so many people at whatever stage of their career, whether they're old salty dogs like me, you know, heading for the exit door, or young people coming through, they're really willing to engage in debate and share ideas and, and raise questions of each other. And I think it's fantastic. See, and I think it marks the profession. I think it, it, for me, it marks the movement from being a, you know, the old fashioned kind of advisor to the new professional financial planner. This collaborative sharing thing is just fantastic to see. Yeah, it is great to see. And a lot of people are getting involved, aren't they, in conversations and you would support that approach then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my work at Octo is, is all about that, to be fair. But, but you know, you look at other organisations, like you look at NextGen and and um, other forums, the Responsible Investment Forum and, and all these, um, you know, Asset 2020. There's so many of them now, um, you know, Advisor Lounge, whatever they happen to be. People are talking to each other, sharing ideas, and that's just fantastic. And that's a great way to build a bit of personal brand. If you're willing at one of these meetings to, to go on record to say something or to sit on a panel or to take part in a debate, that's all about you know, projecting yourself as, as a business person, as, as a good financial planner, as a somebody that's, that is confident in what they have to say, and that even if not everyone agrees with it, you're willing to contribute to the debate. Yeah, that's nice. And that leads quite nicely into my next question. So someone that, you know, may be aware that they need to or conscious that they need to be getting involved in the conversation a a little bit more, but maybe, you know, they've got time pressures or whatever that is. 
how could they start prioritizing it is it simply a case of you know going on to one of these forums and and simply just getting stuck into the the debate yeah i mean you know that that's for me that's a really really good question because it took me ages to despite appearances now it took me ages to pluck up the courage and there were less ways to do it back then you had to almost physically get in a room and, and you know sit on a yeah. or whatever but just as and somebody told this is not my idea but somebody said this to me years ago about social media you wouldn't turn up at an event and just burst into someone else's conversation yeah <laughs> nice analogy you know you you would you would stand there politely hoping to be invited in or waiting for an opportune moment to perhaps contribute something to that if if it looked like they were willing to and I think that's a great thing on social media because it's omnipresent now. There are ways now of, of, of you can start just by liking what people say. You can then perhaps um, support what they said. You can maybe then ask a question. And I think that's a really good place to start building brand is on social media. And, so, and I look at some of the, the great exponents of that uh, who are doing really, really well. You know, people, you know, you know, Amaro Shalima stands out. Dan Martin stands out. But there are so many. It's almost too many to mention. But but it's a nice, nice way to start is that social media way because it's part of this huge discussion group of, of people like you. Yeah, so that's interesting what you're saying. So online versus offline then. So online is obviously more accessible and and easier. Um, what are the advantages to pushing yourselves out there face-to-face and attending events and, and, and things like that? Okay, so that's the time thing. I mean, you, you talked in mm. your previous question about where do you find the time? It, it is, I can tell you this, after being 30 years in, in business, there's never enough time for what you want to do. It never gets any better because, you know, you're always busy all of the time. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong or you're letting a colleague pick up the slack that, the, that, that you should be doing. So you're always going yeah. to be busy. So you just got to make the time if you want to do it. So... Social media is a less, maybe not less time, but it's probably easier. You don't have to travel somewhere. You don't have to, to whatever. But face-to-face for me always always wins. You know, I, I used to talk in my previous, in the practice I owned about face-to-face beats, telephone beats, email beats, you know, whatever. So face-to-face for me was always good. And I was a prolific new business generator. In fact, I, I, you know, I was the only person in my firm that never had to take a referral from anyone else. I generated most of the new business coming in. So... For me, I did that face-to-face, and it takes a huge amount of time. It takes a huge amount of effort. It also takes courage, because if you're going, as I did, you end up on national TV live, that takes courage, you know, and, I, yeah. and I'm just lucky that I sweat down my back and not down my front and all that kind of thing, <laughs> you know. But but you got to start somewhere. And for me, um, face-to-face really, really worked. It may not work for everyone. And, and, you know, as we've seen over the last however many months this blooming lockdown has been going on, we've had to do things in different ways. But for me, face-to-face was always the most successful. Um, and, and you would put yourself into positions of maybe speaking at a conference, taking part in a panel debate. That's a, a softer way to start. Uh, the softest way of all is to ask a question from the audience when, when it opens to questions, because then people begin to understand who you are. Then you get invited to join a panel. Then you end up speaking, either being a, you know, a, a sole speaker on a subject, becoming a subject matter expert. So it's all progressive. Um, but it takes a lot of time. If, you, if you're going to speak at a conference, you need, you need to prep for it. You need to actually be there. You need to travel to it, et cetera, et cetera. So it, for me, it's, it's I mean, I'm talking about this golden age of, of networking and, and collaboration. This digital environment is allowing that to happen. But for me, I like face-to-face. I, I think with the best will in the world, I learn more when I'm with someone 
physically yeah. in the same room as I would as I do on a screen. I think we get a slightly we get a slightly sanitized version of each other on a screen. Yeah, and you talked a lot about you know that drove your success through building new business. So, in terms of prioritizing your personal brand and how that impacts the wider business that you an organization that you're a part of what role does the personal brand play in kind of influencing the wider business goals um i would argue hugely i thought i never really I, I didn't used to think of it as personal brand i guess i just used to think of it as me doing the best job i possibly could whether that was being the practice leader whether it was generating new business whether it was being compliant whether it was thinking about new you know new marketing and website. Uh, initiatives or whatever it happened to be so I didn't really think about it as personal brand and I think personal brand is this kind of phrase that's only really come about over the last four or five years we used to talk about reputation or or uh, and that kind of stuff but I think it's hugely important uh, and whether it's an internal brand as I've talked about whether it's an external brand or it's both it's hugely hugely important because it is it is the perception of you as a financial planner or as a, a practitioner in whichever part of the business you're in so I, I think it is hugely important. And the more you work on it, I'm not saying it ever gets easy because I still don't find it easy. Um, but I understand it's part of what I, I felt I had to do. So did I, did I want to build a, a practice that was known for winning awards? Because I always used awards as a learning experience because I used to get feedback on them. Sadly, you get less feedback on awards now, but, but they're a brand amplifier, I would say. Did I want to speak to the press? Yes, because that was a brand amplifier. When I got the opportunity to go on live TV, did I do it? Yes, because the number of calls we got the following day or I got that evening having been on Sky Business was just amazing. I, I you know, Did it contribute to exact new business there and then? Probably not. But you build this, this persona of being experienced, knowledgeable, um, intellectually and professionally capable um, and also approachable, which is the big, big thing for clients. Clients want to do business with people like them. So I, for me, incredibly important. I had people in my practice that didn't work very hard on it um, and, and maybe saw it as less of a priority. Um, but for me, as the practice leader, as somebody that wanted to be known for what I wanted to be known for, I find it incredibly important to, to put that time in, to put that effort in, to put the sweat in, to put the worry in. Because as I mm -hmm. say, if you're not a natural extrovert, um, it, you know, you know, I, it's you know, I, I sit almost you know quivering with fear before I went on stage in the early days. But you just have to put yourself through it. You've got to you've got to tough up and, and get it done if that's where you want to go. But as I say, I've got loads of respect for people that don't feel they have to. If they attract clients without having to put themselves through that that kind of that pain and and, and, <laughs> and worry, then then good for them. But I never felt I could I could rely on that. I had to go out and actively build build reputation to attract new clients yeah so a big a big piece of advice is take opportunities that you get asked to be a part of but you know i would say so i mean as, as i say we've come on as a as, as a profession it is rare for somebody to want to trip you up i would say it does happen now and again and there's always going to be the miscreants you know the the people that seem to spend their whole working day you know having a go at other people's tweets and linkedin posts as opposed to actually doing their business but you can't worry about them in my view so I, I would say, you know, take the opportunities because we are a very supportive profession now. And I still, you know, I still sort of see myself in the financial planning profession, uh, you know, maybe a bit peripheral now. But, but in terms of if you get the opportunity to sit on a panel, why not? If you get the opportunity to contribute to a publication or a, 
you know, a magazine or whatever. Why not? If you get the opportunity to be profiled, why not? What harm can it do? You know, if, yeah. if, if you're reasonable and knowledgeable and personable, who's going to have a go at you? Take the opportunity, build a bit of brand. If nothing else, stick it as we did in the early days. When, when, when I used to get press profile, we put it in a really lovely leather bound book that we left in our reception. So while, while although I used to hate clients sitting there waiting because I like <laughs> to get them straight in, I, I, I'm not a fan of the waiting room. But we used to have this lovely bound branded book, leather book that people could flick through that had our press cuttings in. It just, yeah. just adds a bit of value. I mean, we, in the end, we were getting so much because there were so many magazines now that, that, that we didn't keep it up. But it was a, it was a nice thing to do. And it, it you know, it, it was a nice personal record. Yeah, I have seen that on um, on coffee tables and it's really interesting to see, you know, that people are involved in the wider community as opposed to just dealing with servicing their, their clients on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, listen, nobody, nobody's got, nobody has the, the monopoly on knowledge. Mm. And, and if you think of financial planning particularly, it's, it, there are so many small firms and I, I don't mean small in any pejorative sense, but they, they are modestly sized firms all trying to do what they do and and really striving to do it well and if you if you know a bit of a trick that works or not a trick but if you know of a strategy that might have worked for you why not share it with other people because financial planning practices do not compete with each other you know i i often use this line alan smith had a very similar practice to me one street over in the city of london and we never once tripped over clients not once in all the years we were we were 40 yards apart so it, 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 it's, it's share and contribute and be seen to do so. Is that because people buy people in the industry? Yeah, I, I would say so. And that's a differentiator, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you go to your GP because it's your local GP practice. You can go to a financial planning practice. Now we've proven you can go to one anywhere. You, you mm. know, you don't, you don't, just because you're based in Manchester doesn't mean you say you've got to have a Manchester planner. Just because you're based in Glasgow doesn't mean to say you've got to, now it, that might make more sense. It might be more convenient, but with the adoption of technology and the way that the financial planning profession have made this work over the last few months, that's no longer necessary. So you can probably have much more choice of the planning firm that you want to use than perhaps previously. So yeah, so I agree with your point. Great, and I suppose it's quite important for pe- those people looking to develop their careers if those, you know, are training to be financial planners to be aware of their personal branding is something that would probably pay uh, dividends in the long run yeah I thought you know what it, it can have <laughs> it, it can have its drawbacks I mean we we took on a we took on a, a really really highly qualified very very young financial planner um, almost overqualified for his stage of career if it's such a thing and I, and, you know, I should be careful what I say there because I'm a big believer in qualifications but um, and he, he'd already built a brand, but he was frightened to death of clients, which was really interesting. He didn't, he didn't manage to stick it with us because he, he got himself into such a funk about seeing clients. All he wanted to do was talk to the press. Well, you know, you, you don't do it, just do it to talk to the press. You do it because you want to enhance your business, publicize your business and publicize you as a financial planner. The, the, the personal brand is not the end. It is just the means. Yeah. And that's really interesting, isn't it? So the, there has to be a balance between your actual job <laughs> and um, and what you want to be known for in the industry. Those drawbacks then, are there any other downsides that listeners may need to be aware of when thinking about 
that's how they want to be perceived. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you've got to. You, I, I use this word congruent a lot. You've got to be congruent. You know, uh, somebody I knew very well used to run around constantly talking about the empathy they had, and used to send the most vicious emails to people um, internally. <laughs> right. So you think actually you've got no empathy at all because you've no you've no understanding of the hurt you've just caused to people. So, um, so there are drawbacks. You've got to be congruent. You, you've got to you've got to practice what you preach and, and live up to your to your brand. The other drawbacks are the haters are going to hate. You know, they are thankfully very very rare. But occasionally, and I'm on record for this. Occasionally, I've seen um, really well respected financial planners get attacked on social media just for having an opinion. Well, in my in my view, you can disagree with someone but you can't start calling them out on their qualifications or their technical knowledge or, or whatever, because A, you wouldn't fully understand what they were unless you spoke to them. And B, it's unprofessional and it's unpalatable. And sadly, it's often done by, it seems to be blokes that look like me having a go at particularly women. And it's just unpalatable that these mid 50 balding, fattening um, guys think that they, they've got the monopoly on knowledge. So, uh, and, and I, but it's very rare so I, I think the drawbacks are it can take a lot of time, particularly mm. to do it well, often because you will have your own commercial objectives or professional objectives within the firm. You've got to do it largely in your spare time. I mean, I was out in my practice, I was at three or four or five, well, not unusually five, but probably three or four nights a week, networking, attending events, speaking at events, uh, going along to whatever it happened to be, where there was an opportunity to meet and mingle to potentially get get my practice name out. That takes a lot of time. Not everyone has that time to commit. I, you know, I'm in a relationship that, that I've got a uh, a working wife, and 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 you know, she's also very very busy and doing lots of stuff. So perhaps I had a bit more flee- leeway. But if you've got a young family, or you you just don't want to do it, you know, you, you've got a better work life balance than I had, or whatever it is. So those are drawbacks. There is also a really interesting one that people often don't talk about, which is colleague jealousy. Right. That's interesting. There is, there's, yeah. There's, you know what? You, you, you sort of hope that everyone in your firm is aligned and wants to do the same thing. But there is, if people begin to build profile, and I was talking to another very, very senior financial planner the other day who was experienced this issue. Uh, and I've had it where, where people want all the benefits of the, of the profile you build, but they don't like the fact that you've got the profile. It's it's and often it's not stated that bluntly, but it's very very obvious. Um, I mean, I always talk about the, the you know the, the the time I finally got us into a trade magazine and, and front cover, and we had we had four pages inside this magazine, and I'd mentioned a colleague in in a previous life six times, mm-hmm. um, and I marched and I came into the office to be marched into a meeting room by this colleague, almost frothing at the mouth that this is all about you, this is all about you. And I said, well, I've not even read it yet, so give me, give me the opportunity to read it. When I read it, I highlighted where this particular colleague had been, had been mentioned very fulsomely and praised very fulsomely six times in an article. And it was only then that it calmed down. So that's an unusual situation, but it does happen. And as I say, I was only talking to a friend of mine the other day who was experiencing the same thing. You know, they'd put the time in, they'd got to know the journalists, They'd um, given the quotes, they turned up and sat in the panels, they'd done all the thing that led to that particular bit of profile, and they were having a situation very similar to the one I just described. So you've got to be, you've got to be careful. I mean, there's ways to mitigate it, you know, keep, keep clients informed, and it might have been nicer if I'd, if I'd got in a little bit earlier. Usually I was the first in, which was interesting, but mm. uh, if I'd got in earlier that day and had seen the magazine and read it first, I might have been able to tee up. But I was genuinely shocked that, that brand profile 
plus personal profile had had caused upset to a colleague in a fairly early stage of, of, of this particular business. And it was it's interesting. Um, it, it came up in discussion many years later and they denied that they were ever upset by it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, you're rewriting that particular incident because you really hurt me at the time because you, you yeah. made me feel really quite poor about it. Yeah. And do you think that is an awareness issue of the work that was put in previous to that publication with that colleague or...? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, I was able to, you know, uh, over the years, I was able to to duck having the the cover the cover of the, those particular magazines for two colleagues, which was quite nice because then you, yeah. you know, you've done me already. You should definitely speak to to other colleagues. I think the awareness thing, yeah, probably. I mean, some people's characters. They they this comes back to this congruent thing. Uh, this 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 particular person would would like to think they had a particular character. Um, and, and that's what you get externally, but internally it was a very different story. So I think that congruence, incongruence thing comes into play there. But I think, you know, we all learn as we go. Nobody teaches this, you know. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so you, you do what you think is best at the time. And, and to get to get a magazine with a big bit of coverage for our practice seemed like a good idea to me. And um, but maybe I should have, maybe I should have, it should have been on me to explain better what was about to happen. But then, of course, I didn't write the article. I only just gave the quotes and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, you asked you ask for the for the potential dangers. I think the haters are going to hate. Be aware of managing client, um, uh, colleague expectations. Be aware that not everyone would agree with you, but that still shouldn't deter you. Really, really good advice, Lee, I think. Quite, quite eye-opening as well to just share your experiences, both the positives and the negatives yeah. as well. I, yeah, I always remember um, Gavin Lumsden at CityWire. I was, I was speaking, I think it was an IFP event. I was, I was speaking on stage and because I'd built a bit of press profile by then, in fact, I, you know, and Gavin Lumsden was sitting in the front row of the audience at this IFP conference. And, and a question came from the floor after my little slot um, was, yeah, but, you know, but how have you managed to do it? How have you managed to to get in touch with journalists? And, and I said, well, you know, quite clearly, um, I had some luck that a client who was a journalist introduced me to their financial um, colleagues, you know, um, on Money Mail. But actually, you know, there are so many trade magazines now. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just, if you'd something to say, pick up the phone to them? Because these, you know, with twenty four hour websites and and all these publications and magazines, they are hungry. For and I used to get a call every Friday from from one particular magazine. Have you got any gossip? And I said, well, I don't know why you call me every Friday because I don't gossip. But you know, if you want to talk <laughs> about something sensible, you say, who's moving? You, you you always know who's moving firms. I said, well, no, I don't. But I wouldn't tell you anyway because that would be confidential. So <laughs> so you know, that's that's another drawback, I suppose. You've got to be careful about what you do and don't say. What you say, easy. yeah. And it's easy in an interview to perhaps say too much when you're trying to please. But but the point of that story was Gavin Lumsden then from the floor said, I'm always willing to hear from financial planners. Do pick up the phone or drop me an email. So I think you now Gavin's now on a on a, re- on a uh, public consumer uh, website down at, down at CityWire. But, but it just shows all these journalists are willing to talk. Yeah, I think a common theme of, throughout this discussion is you've been proactive. Um, you're not waited for the journalist to come to you. You've... You've been proactive in, in terms of going to the events, asking questions and things. So I think that's one of the key takeaways that I've, that I've got. Um, 
just to to not be afraid yeah or, or be afraid but just be mindful that it's only fear yeah if that makes sense you, you know you can build it up in your own head and, I, and you know i did it for years and years and sometimes still do um you know you something you know there's 200 people watching me in this lecture theater or what, whatever it is you know whatever the thing is and there is fear for an introvert but you but it gets easier the more like anything the more you practice the better at it you get um but my view was that I had to be very, very proactive. Another drawback, just before we move on from there, is that if journalists are looking for you and they want to talk to you and you're not available, they very quickly move on. And you might have spent a right. long time cultivating that journalist. Hopefully they would use you. And then they ring you, you know, I don't know, 2.30 on a Friday afternoon because they want a story and you happen to be sitting in a client meeting, which is your actual job. Mm. Um, and they will just graze <laughs> on. They will ring the next one on the list to see if they can get the, the you know, the, the story, the, the, the quote or, or the feedback they're looking for. So that's another drawback, the availability thing. They can quickly move on. Yeah, so, so not to sit on a, a journey request. No, if you've got the time. Advice, if possible. Yeah, if you've got the time to do it or they drop you an email saying, yeah. have you got an idea about this uh, and you want you want your idea to go through, then I, I would do it sooner rather than later because they're under huge deadlines. Uh, and I take my hat off. I now work with journalists. Uh, because of OXO and I take my hat off to these to, to the ones that we work with and that they are under constant pressure to produce content so if if they've got a deadline because this you know the, the webmaster's putting stuff up at four o'clock that afternoon and it's two o'clock and they've still not written it and they need a quote from you mm. then I'm going to wait till you ring back at five thirty. yeah really good advice so one last question before we go we always end up with a bit of um, advice, um, if you had one piece of advice for someone who are looking at just, you know, beginning to start out and carving their personal branding path, what would that one piece of advice be? I think we've talked about a lot, but if you could just give one. Yeah, it's not as scary out there as, you, as you'll make it in your own head. You know, people are genuinely willing to support you and help you and hear from you if you have something sensible to say and you know your topic. So give it a go. I mean, that, that be proactive, give it a go, step up, contribute to your profession. Great. Thanks, Lee. Um, and thanks so much for coming on to this podcast again today to discuss uh, branding. It's been really good. Absolute pleasure. I hope it helps some. You know, sometimes these things resonate with some, but if, if anyone takes one small thing away that, that kind of helps, then, you know, uh, and I always like to close by wishing all of my, I guess, former colleagues in financial planning every success in what they do. I think it's incredibly valuable to society and I wish each and every one of every success, particularly at this very difficult time. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Lee. Our thanks again to Lee for his contribution to this episode of First Focus, where we discussed why personal branding is so important in the financial services industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, keep an eye out for future episodes coming out bi-weekly. Thanks for listening once again, and we look forward to you tuning in next time. Thank you.